Hello, we are the Shy Guys and you're listening to Connecting to Host, your co-op and multiplayer gaming podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Moon Hunters. Moon Hunters is a myth-weaving adventure for one to four players solving ancient mysteries and building mythologies. Explore a hand-painted pixel art world that's randomly generated yet rich with legends, non-linear stories and secrets. How will you be remembered? Poorly. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Moon Hunters is available on basically everything. Uh, Steam for Windows, Mac and Linux. Switch, PS4 and Xbox One. It costs £10 on everything except PS4 and Xbox One where you'll be paying 12 quid. So it's uh, not too much on any other platforms really. We've been playing it on PC because that's the way we roll with our GTX 1080s that you need to pump out all those pixels. Um, <laughs> and using controllers. You... Were you using a controller? You were, weren't you? Yeah, I was using my Xbox uh, Xbox One controller. So. Yeah, me too. Me too. So what class were you playing then? Uh, I played as a druid in our first playthrough and then I played as... Oh, no, sorry. Uh, no, I played I as a druid. You played, you as, played, druid. As, uh, you played as the oh, witch. witch. I, I played as the witch. Yeah. Witch. And then I played as the Spellblade, which yeah. I enjoyed as well. They're a bit different. But uh, yeah, you played as a druid. And then what else did you play as? Yeah, I played the druid the first run. And then I played as the sun cultist in the second one, otherwise known as the traitor. Because yeah, all was... of his hits seemed to do fire damage, which hurt us both. So <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> and uh, so... I think his treacherous nature also impacted the story. Yeah, the story options available, which is interesting. So Yeah. I mean, if, if I described the core game i mean it's effectively a roguelike action rpg um the developer has used rather flowery language to describe it as a (laughs) personality test rpg which i I don't really fully understand um the plot is that one day in the fantasy land of isaria the moon does not rise and the moon is the source of all magic and spiritual power so it imbalances the world and the game's heroes must set out to restore the balance again um, and without the moon's power, there's lots of monsters and stuff. There's chaos, danger, etc., etc. Um, the weird thing about it is that each time you play, I mean, you play multiple run-throughs of about an hour each, um, and it's supposed to be as if you're telling the story of this character. So it's more like you're telling the legend of this character at this time when the moon didn't rise. So you end up with like this non-linear, changing. A story where the actions of the players in the previous run through persist into the next one so you get certain abilities like um, the example to see ghosts you might do something that gives you that ability and then that persists to the next playthrough uh, which is kind of cool um, in practice it feels kind of like a bit hack and slash like uh, maybe a little bit twin stick shootery because um, you basically just mm. run around twirling and slapping stuff Almost a little bit kind of somewhere between Gauntlet and Zelda from the days of yore. Yeah, yeah, that is a good comparison. Very good comparison. Um, So in terms of actual mechanics, you have a regular attack, a power attack, and a dash. Um, And these can be upgraded uh, throughout each adventure uh, with opals that you collect. And there's various merchants who are amazing. They have these little avatars. They're like, (laughs) let me take your shiny opals. So I do do like that. you also have various stats for your character, which is where the RPG bit comes in. Um, I can't remember all the different ones, but you've got things like um, strength, wits, uh, charm. Um, and these get boosted by the various actions you take and mildly affect your combat abilities and other things, which we'll talk about later on. Uh, there's also traits such as foolishness, 
which might trigger other events. Um, we, we got that one. That was yeah. fun. So depending on actions that you take, because there's um, lots of narrative options, kind of a bit uh, you know, branching dialogue tree, basically. Um, and depending on the actions you take, different things will happen to you. So these... And I guess that's where the personality test, quote-unquote, comes in, right? Because you gain yeah. these traits as you go along, which describes your character's kind of like, personality. The run-through we had wouldn't be replicated by anyone else easily because there's so many decisions that you make that will branch off and cause other things to happen. And I think there's a large amount of randomness to it as well in terms yeah. of people that you meet and what happens on the answers that you give. But again, we'll talk about that later. Um, so each game session, I, I said it takes about an hour to play through, hour, hour and a half. Um, it takes place over five days with a camp uh, at each night. Um, and then each day you choose a destination from a selection on a map um, to go to different places. Um, and it'll sort of tell you vaguely what's there. Like, oh, there's a merchant here. And, oh, there's a village. Or, oh, there's, you know, uh, powerful enemies or whatever it might be. Um, so it's pretty cool. Um, you unlock different places and that supposedly persists, although we didn't really understand how that worked or see it in action. But then we only played through twice, so I don't know if more playthroughs would have unlocked more and more mm. places and then we'd be given an option. Don't know. Don't know how that worked. But it was, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm going to uh, talk about the online features and well, the, the co-op features, really, I guess. So uh, you can play it up to four players. I mean, you can run through it on your own if you like. And we had a great time with two of us. It's not like one of those games where it says one to four, but really you need four. I mean, we had a lot of fun with two of us and it it felt balanced. I didn't feel like we were, you know, we, we died a couple of times in our run throughs, but not over yeah. and over. It was the right level of difficulty. Um, even when you're playing it online, you're basically sharing the same screen. So it feels like you're playing in the same room. Uh, while we never did play in the same room, I'm assuming exactly the same mechanic. You're sort of stuck to the screen, all on the same screen, no split screen, and you can just run around with your with your thumbsticks shooting shit. <laughs> um, the invite system worked pretty well. I mean, we're both on Steam, so we just used the Steam invite thing, which works as expected. But you could also just generate, I think it was like a six-digit or six-letter code, right? And then I just told you what that was, and you could join my game. So. I, I think it was even four digits. Um <sighs> I think it was less than Invisigun Heroes, which had the same mm. mechanic. Invisigun Heroes, I think, was six. I think this was just four. Because <laughs> it was just like, it's... enter the number 4844. Four. <laughs> you just do it and it <laughs> connects. It's like, oh, cool. <laughs> but it's kind of nice because you can just say it. If you're, if you're playing with some people who you're not friends with on the Steam, but you know the ones you're sort of chatting on Slack or something, or you want to have a quick game at work or with some other people, yeah, you can just throw the code around and it, and it works. So. You can even just say it over voice. You don't have to Skype it or anything, which is kind of nice. Uh, you can also allow, you can kind of keep the spaces open for other randoms to join or just jump into someone else's public game. Looks like there's still, at least when we've looked, a couple of games still going online. So games open, available to join, which is nice. Nice. I mean, I don't know if you're listening to this in two years' time. That might not longer be true, but definitely now in uh, early 2018, that is true. And... Um, do you know if it works like cross-platform? Because obviously it's just launched on Switch recently. Mm. So I'm wondering, because it's presumably using like their own server thing, if they've got like their own invite codes. I wonder if there's a lot of people online at the moment just because a lot of people are playing it on Switch because it's just arrived there in the last couple of weeks. Maybe, Maybe that yeah. Could that's be a, it. Good, a good thought. And to be fair, I mean, uh, 
I think it's not like Rocket League, where if you're playing on Switch and they're on PC, it's not really fair. <laughs> At least if they're in handheld mode, sitting on their yeah. couch. But here, it doesn't matter. You know, like you're not going to be disadvantaged if you're playing with Switch players. So, I think if they do do it, that's a good thing. Hmm. Uh, what is pretty cool, I guess it's part of the multiplayer specific. So I'll just bring it up now. But something that we discovered in our second run through was uh, when you make a lot of decisions in the game, so when there's a dialogue choice, or do you wish to go inside this temple? Or do you wish to kick the old granny in the face or help her across the road? Um, kick her in the face. That... <laughs> That's why you never be the leader. No. Um, but when you make those decisions, you actually vote as a party. Uh, and if it's a tie, as it sometimes was when there's two of us, uh, whoever's all, actually there. Always is. I mean, unless we both chose the same thing. <laughs> yeah. By yeah, the nature yeah. of being two people, it's always a tie. <laughs> but quite often we chose the same thing because yeah. there was one that was obviously beneficial. <clears throat> but, uh, but if you vote differently, then the character with the highest charisma uh, is the party leader and therefore their decision is always true. It's not randomised. It's like, nope, that's the leader. They make the decision. Although you both, um, I think you're, if I recall correctly, your traits are still affected by what you picked. So if we pick differently and you were mean and I was good, you would win because you are the leader and we would do the mean thing, but you might get a trait that says you're mean and I might get a trait that says, well, you tried. <laughs> you tried to stop the bad thing from happening. That's good because with two players, I mean, it's a bit harsh because, I mean, I might as well not vote at all. I don't. Uh, yeah, I yeah. guess it makes sense if the traits are balanced that way. I hadn't realised that because otherwise my vote would just never count when you're the leader. So it's uh, yeah. annoying. Yeah, well, but the leader can change. Yes, <laughs> which we'll come to later. But uh, yeah, uh, cool. I think that pretty much sums the whole thing up. I mean, it's a uh, there is a lot to it in terms of quantity, but it's not um, it's not a hugely complex game when you're playing it. And there's a lot of meta game going on, which is complicated, and we'll mention that a bit later. But uh, but the game itself, like you say, lots of running through levels. I thought it was um, interesting that between the stages, you get to pick where to go next. So the whole game is broken down into five days, like you mentioned. Uh, and that each day is kind of broken down into one or more locations. So you start off in a location, you might go around and kill everything, find a merchant, hit some random events that happen. Oh, this guy who's looking down a well, what do you want to do? Um, and then when you get through all of that, uh, sometimes when you get to the end of the level, I didn't know if there was a rule or if it just happened, but there's some kind of day-night cycle, I think. So you kind of, hey, it's the morning, you get through this map. And it's the afternoon, you get through this map. Now it's nighttime, so you have to rest at the camp. Um, and that's something, I guess, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but you would rest at the camp, uh, get some get some options what you do there, and then you start the next day. And then the game just ends after five days, which is also quite interesting. It's yeah. Not- <clears throat> Not typical roguelike where you play until you die. This is, nope, you play for five days and then the, that's it. Then that's it. Yeah. Um, and there's like a boss fight at the end. Ooh, was there both yeah. times? I yeah, yeah. There was both times, yeah. And uh, and there's different endings depending on what you do is in your playthrough. So, yeah. So let's move cool. on to our likes and dislikes. You can kick off if you like, good sir. I would love to. So uh, my favourite thing about this game is really the uh, dialogue tree stuff. Um, I love the way that the voting works. I thought that was really, really cool mechanic. Because mm-hmm. you don't expect to vote as a party separately. You kind of expect that the team leader's going to pick. Um, 
So I liked that a lot. Um, the best thing about it is that your results of your actions are completely unknowable. Like it's much more <laughs> akin to something like uh, FTL faster than light uh, than something like Mass Effect. So for example, uh, in Mass Effect or like Knights of the Old Republic, if you know you see someone and it's like, do you want to kick them in the face or do you want to stroke them? And it's like, <laughs> okay, well, one's going to be the good option and one's going to be the bad option. And it's pretty obvious which way it's going to go. Or you have the middle of the road option where you get no power-ups at all. So why does anyone do that in Bioware <laughs> game? But anyway, that aside, that aside, you know what's going to happen. You know vaguely, like, you can almost look at it and go, okay, that's three uh, Sith points right there. Yeah. Uh, whereas in FTL, it's a lot more like, oh, there's a, a beacon and there's someone stranded on it. Do you rescue them or do you blow the ship up? And if you rescue them, you don't know whether or not it's going to be a, oh, you've got a free member on your team. Great. Or, oh, they had a disease. Everyone on your ship is dead. Yeah, <laughs> like, there's always a risk involved. You don't know. But also, I'm pretty sure that each run through, that can change. Like, it actually has answers for both. And it randomly, mm. like when you pick, it could randomly pick one of the two, good or bad. So even on a second playthrough, if you see that again, you go, ah, no, 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 I'm going to blow it up. And then you blow it up and it's like, oh, you just killed an innocent person. All these people attack <laughs> you. Um, and this is very, very much the same. So like your example of kick the woman in the face. Uh, well, if I kick her in the face, it might be, oh, she's just a nice old woman. What are you doing? You get attacked by bees. Um, whereas if you don't kick her in the face, she might then kick you in the face and kill you. Um, and you don't know what the right answer is. It's like, it's not obvious what is going to happen, which I really like. I like that a lot more than the obvious, this thing is going to do plus three to this step. This is going to do minus one to that step. It's uh, just better, a better way of storytelling, which I liked. Yeah, and those events in themselves were really nice because they added... Uh... I mean, they were crucial to make the game stand out, but they added something, you know, like you, you walk into a town, you kill a bunch of bad guys, but then you approach someone and there's a random event chain. You know, sometimes it'll persist with a bunch, like a bunch of options later on. You might meet them, meet the guy that you tell to bugger off and you might meet him on the next day. Um, what, was the, travels. what was the thing that you saw where it did something? Because, oh... We came across this guy who had a table and it had food on the mm. table. And it's yeah. like, do you eat the food? And you ate the food. And it went, the food is actually just painted stone. You break yeah. your teeth. And then it just <laughs> went, John has got the foolishness trait. <laughs> and I had like, I had like analytical or something. It's like being analytical. I think I tried to eat the food and it's like being analytical. You don't eat the food. You realize it's not real. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty, yeah. pretty cool stuff like that. And there was no need for that to be there. It was just world building, which is uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Really nice. Like it really makes the game. These little event chains make you, yeah, that's the, that's the personality test, I guess. But you know, like it, it wasn't that, but it did make it a lot of fun. Which yeah. is all that really matters in the game, right? Yeah. So I think um, I think at faster than light is the best comparison I can give it because yeah, that game is fun. You know, you go along and you shoot stuff and stuff happens. But the bit that makes that interesting is that anything can happen along that journey, which is a bit random. And that's what this is in this mm. game. They're very very different, you know, mechanically games. But the actual that story layer on top is pretty much the same sort of thing, which is yeah. awesome. Need more games like that. <laughs> Now, I'm a fairly big fan of the kind of roguelike structure. I don't know why. Like, objectively, if I sit down and say to myself, do I like dying and just playing the same game again? I'm like, no, of course not. 
But I seem to have recently been sucked into a lot of these games like Dead Cells and uh, it started with Rogue Legacy. I'm like, ah, this is all right. I'll just play a couple hours and then 25 hours later, I'm like, huh, whoops. And it happened with Dead Cells and uh, hasn't quite happened with this yet. But I do like the, you know, you, you play through a fixed game and this has got a nice twist because it's fixed in length, like we said earlier, instead of just wait, wait until you die. But then obviously you unlock things persistently throughout the game so there is still progression going on even though you die so that's where the roguelike comes from I guess instead of just being a rogue game um and it's kind of cool like you um visually it's it starts off quite cool because you between run-throughs you walk through this very spiritual almost uh kind of totem dream like area yeah where you can see all of the star signs that you've unlocked which encapsulates Maybe the extra classes you've unlocked, additional areas which will appear in future game throughs, uh, and also certain abilities like the ability to see ghosts, uh, which we unlocked in our first run through, and then we saw some ghosts in the second. I think you can also unlock things like speak with animals for the druid in the same way, and then in future runs with the druid, you can speak with animals and they, a bit more flavour comes through there. So that's kind of cool, and um, I think it's nice. What was I going to say? I completely forgot. I had a I had a really cool point in my head, but it's shame that cool point didn't persist. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I need to start the run through again. But no. Ultimately, I think it's, foolishness um... trait seems more appropriate <laughs> by the minute. Uh, but no, it's nice how. Oh, that was that's what I've remembered. It was. Um, there's also one of the things you can do between the the days is you can try and cook stuff in the pot. And um, you find ingredients as you go through. And I think there's, it's either over 100 or two or 300 recipes. I mean, we only, we only made a handful, like half a dozen of these recipes, but you can mix ingredients and then you get some effect at the end. So you unlock a kind of recipe book, which also persists through all the runs. So there's a lot of stuff there. I don't know if you'd ever get to a point when you've unlocked all of them, <laughs> um, but you can have a lot of fun exploring and then you can find a good, a good match of ingredients. Hey, this gives me loads of strength between rounds. Cool. I'll do that next time on the fighter, you know. But it's also random, like the effects, because um, I, that's, I'm going to talk about that now, right now. In fact, mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about campfire stuff. Um, so the whole campfire mechanic is awesome because you get to choose <clears throat> from a range of activities. Like you might stand watch or you might go hunting or you might just wonder at the stars and try and increase your <laughs> comprehension of it um, i think only one person can do each at a time so you can't have two people go off hunting um, the only one that yeah. you can all do at the same time is resting where you literally yeah. just go to sleep <clears throat> and it's really cool because you can do different things and it shows you like this might affect these abilities here so hunting affects like your strength and something else i forget what it was it might be charisma um so you sort of choose these things and then a random event will happen. So you might gaze at the stars and you might go, hmm, you discover a new star. Your intelligence goes up by 10 points. Or it might be, you contemplate, but you fall asleep because you're bored. <laughs> your intelligence goes down three points, but your restfulness goes up, whatever. I can't remember the exact mm. things. Um, but it was pretty cool because, again, you get that sense of randomness. Like you're choosing a path, but it doesn't happen 
it's not like a fixed thing. Like, oh, if you do that, you get plus five in this, plus three in that. It's still random yeah. in those bounds, which is kind of cool. Um, but that's also where the leader of the group thing came up because I hadn't even realized that was a thing. Um, mm. And then you upped your charisma by standing watch or something and an event happened and you answered a riddle and your charisma went up. Uh, and then it said, John is now leader of the group. And I was like, what the fuck? What's this? <laughs> So then the next night I did the same thing that he did. I stood watch. So my charisma went up so I could yeah. be leader because I was like, I'm not having him dictate the options we choose. I want to punch the old woman in the face. So by <laughs> I, golly, I, we will. <laughs> I orchestrated that because on that run through, I figured out the leader makes the decisions because we tested it a little bit. And then uh, beside each of the options in the camp, I think it tells you either the base benefit which you're guaranteed to get or the most likely outcome i'm not sure yeah. what it shows you but you know so i saw one and it's like oh plus three charisma and then if you mouse over charisma or use the cursor over charisma it's like determines the party leader and then i was like aha that's when i realized that this is the leadership mechanic that that so it's like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna go rest ben because you know i don't think the hunting's for me this time <laughs> and then it's like you are the party leader <laughs> Uh, but then you got it back because your charisma was uh, naturally higher anyway. So, yeah, as in real life. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, keep dreaming, my friend. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, the the campfire bit's pretty cool because it's a nice break between the other parts of the game, and it's um just really cool that you can do these different things and change your stats a bit, and like, you can physically see your character leveling up and getting better at stuff, which is. Uh, nice but there is also a lot of story stuff there as well like a lot of options um, like sometimes you get ambushed at night and you might reason with the people and if you're successful then stats go up yeah uh, but like you say you can do all the cooking stuff and i think there's a large amount of randomness to that as well like the effects of your cooking again might be between certain bounds but it might be like mm. you get between plus five and plus ten stamina and then it's basically just a dice roll to choose yeah. how much you get so it's um it's cool a lot of um uh, a lot of scope for repeated playthroughs. Yeah. Yeah, it mixes it up quite a lot. Hmm. Didn't mention the V word this time. I'm not going to say oh. No, 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 no. no. Not today, not today, because I'm going to have my second like to be the uh, the overall aesthetics and feel of the game. So, I mean, initially, obviously, you, you, can't, you can't miss the pixel art. And I'm a little bit like you. Like, uh, in my heart, when I see a game which has pixel art. I'm a little bit like, meh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but sometimes it's done really well. I mean, it's just overall, I'm like a bit worried about pixel art and I think I'm worried it's not going to hold together very well. Um, but it does in Moon Hunters. And I would say it like, like it does in Dead Cells. I think it holds together really well in Dead Cells. Maybe this doesn't hold together quite so well, but it's still, it's still a good looking game. And I bet it looks really crisp on the Switch. You know what um, I like most about the pixel art in this game is the colours that they've chosen. Yeah. Very soft, pastely colours. So like when you're running through the desert scene, it just looks beautiful. Really spot on mm. colour work. Now there's not much detail and stuff going on, but what is there is just very, very nice. Really good yeah. for screenshots. Um, looks really nice. And they've got like that dynamic lighting as well. And I love yeah, it when you yeah. take a game with pixel art, but you add modern stuff to it. So you get like... Mm proper light emanating out and it's all pixelated and cool yeah. it's like ooh and it's just a filter <laughs> on top it's nothing difficult <laughs> it's just uh, it makes it look way more advanced than it actually is which I like but it, you say it's not 
difficult, but it is quite clever because it is a proper lighting system. Like if there's oh, a, yeah. a pillar in the world, then it will, you know, it will cast a shadow slash block the lighting. So, I mean, there is a, it's a bit more than just like, oh, a, a round glow over the character. It's that, that cool, you see it in a few games nowadays, like dungeon crawly 2D games. But I do like that effect. You're right. It's pretty cool when you walk up to a pillar with a torch and you can see the kind of the the absence of light. It's, you know, I guess it's yeah. shadow, but the whole world is the same color apart from the bit lit up. So, um, but it's it's cool. I like it, and it's a, it's a nice effect. And I think the event art is very. Mm. It's a little bit. It's kind of slightly weird because the event art's obviously kind of hand drawn over top of the pixely thing, so it's a bit of a different art style. But I do like the event art because it really evokes the sense of what's going on and who you're talking to. And like you say, you walk up to a trader and then uh, the little pixel art's lying on a rug or something and then you get this picture of this uh, snarly old woman. Like, what can I help you with? <laughs> it's I, almost uh, like a comic book style, isn't it? Like they yeah. have the... Um, uh, when you have like events like at the campfire and stuff, when like you get ambushed, it's got like a comic book style look to it and the introduction to the story and plot points are kind of comic booky as well which is kind of interesting um as you say it's like a, a clash of it but I'd, I'd not really thought about it until now but i suppose they are completely different art styles yeah yeah but it works works really yeah. nicely yeah so was there anything that you didn't like about moon hunters ben there's only one thing that i've got um and it didn't affect us that much but when i was doing a little bit of research to see if anyone else has seen it. There was a huge number of uh, people complaining about this on Steam, people wanting to get refunds and stuff. Um, and the problem is that in online co-op, uh, there's a, a fair amount of judder dropped frames. Mm. Uh, we had a few bits where you'd be going along and maybe, you know, uh, every you know third second would like just drop out a bit. So you'd be like, one, two, three is fine. And then four would be like, missing yeah. so you just stop and then you carry on again um which is disconcerting um it's not like dropped frames because it was like more like a dropped second yeah <laughs> like yeah like, like a big noticeable stall which was all right you just sort of got used to it um and it stopped doing it after a while so i'm pretty sure it's like networking relating but a lot of people were complaining about uh, rubber banding connection failures all mm. kinds of problems um I wondered if it might be better on Switch. I don't know, just because they've done that more recently, so they've probably done updates to it more recently, but it yeah. might just be their server infrastructure. I don't know how they're powering all of that stuff. Um, I don't say know it, how it works. You say it <sighs> wasn't too bad, but it was pretty jarring. Like um, it, it did a little bit put me off repeated, like long repeated play sessions because... It's, a, it's kind of like you say, it's weird because it came in phases, right? You'd be like, no, no, it's been five or ten minutes of this stuttery frame dropping. And then it goes away and it's fine for five or ten minutes. But I, my, my gut feeling is that they don't really have any um, network prediction. And I guess this makes sense with a, a small team, presumably, given the, the style of game. But um, I think it's a bit like when you play a fighting game like Street Fighter and they've got networking codes. Like either it can stay in sync or it will stop to wait to stay in sync. Because in a Street Fighter game, it needs to, right? You have to... It's all about frame accuracy. So it does the best they can to stay in sync. And if it doesn't, it just waits to catch up. And it felt like that effect. Whereas really, mm. they should have they should have gone for a solution where, you know what? Fudge it a little bit if it goes wrong and give the players the benefit of the doubt. You know, like, if, if uh, due to networking, the bullet looks like it misses them, but actually on the server it hits them. 
let it miss them. You know, like, who cares? You know, like, you can have a little bit of prediction and a little bit of the odd, the odd bullet either going through a bad guy or a bad guy missing you when it should have hit you or something. Probably yeah. wouldn't happen that often, but it, if that just happened now and then, but there was never any stuttering, that would have been so much better than the, the stuttering. So, yeah, so it was it was distracting. Um, yeah. Like I say, I have no idea if it works on Steam or not uh, on Switch. Sorry, um, does the Switch have a free demo? I don't think it does. Does it? There's quite a few titles that have got free demos now, but I don't think Moon Hunters is one of them. So I can't even say go and try mm. and see how it feels, but. Um, Something to be wary of. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to play it locally, this obviously won't be a problem. No, yeah, um, be fine. Or even if you're going to play it on LAN, I suspect that's fine too, if you're just going to play across a local network. Uh, I could be wrong there, so don't quote me on it. But that my feeling was that, because I mean, our ping isn't very high, even between us both, but, you know, it's it's still got to go across some, some water <laughs> yeah. to get there. So I suspect... Fair, fair that, amount. Yeah. <laughs> I suspect uh, there is enough ping to have made a difference in this case so uh, just to carry on with a couple more a lot smaller technical I'm saying issues almost sounds a bit too harsh but uh, we have ultra wide monitors uh, and there isn't any ultra wide support that's super common with 2d games though to be fair uh, yeah. because they're you know hand crafted to fit on a screen and if you get to the edge of the world the yeah and also i mean i guess it's super complicated if i'm on a wide screen and you're not and we have to try and limit character I movement to the screen. That's probably the reason why. Because there's no reason why it couldn't work. Mm. It's not like something like Cuphead, where you yeah. have hand drawn. It's for this aspect ratio. Like you could widen the sides because you move around, mm. and it scrolls. So I don't see any difficulty there. But I think I, I was going to say I don't understand why it doesn't have it. But you've nailed it on the head just there, saying <laughs> because of the way that the co-op works. It would be difficult if we were one person off the screen, which is super irritating. Actually, that is a minor dislike of mine. It's a shame we couldn't wander off because if you're, like, mm. I, I appreciate locally, it's harder. Um, you don't want to do that. Maybe local co-op, but online co-op, it's like, ah, why do I have to be bound to where John is? Yeah, but yeah. I guess then you get into all sorts of trouble of if I meet a trader and talk to them, but you're nowhere near, but then you have <laughs> dialogue choices. So I, I get it. It's the easy option. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But, and it's also, I mean, it only happened once, so it's not a huge issue, but we didn't take that many screenshots. But there was one occasion where uh, you actually hit a 12 right to take a screenshot. Oh, this would be cool to put on the show notes. Uh, and, then, and then you just disappeared because yeah. the game crashed. So um, yeah. that, was, that was a sad moment and we had to restart the run. But you know, I don't know if I have the life. screenshot either. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess one of the side effects of it, I mean... I can't get too upset about not supporting ultra wide because I understand we're in a minority. You know, as a developer, you don't do stuff to support the one percent; you do it to support the ninety-nine. But um, it was slightly annoying because all the Steam overlay pop-ups. When you have a a game like that, I don't know exactly what you know. I could probably figure it out, but I'm not going to. But like, uh, think about what's going on. But the the game obviously takes up the middle three quarters of the screen, so there's just black on each side. But then when Steam has a pop-up in the corner. It has this kind of weird ghosting effect because I guess yeah, the, it's weird. You know, it is a full screen application and it's got a render buffer for the whole screen, but it's not using all of it, so it never draws to anything outside the main window. So when Steam draws, it just sort of stays there. So you end up with these old pop-ups messily sitting in the corner and stuff. And it's your like, FPS uh, counter is a state as well because the same thing yeah. just in the top left. So it just says 100 
with n- other numbers written on top of it. <laughs> Helpful. But um, and yeah, I mean it's super minor, but it is a little bit jarring. But yeah. but that's it for our dislikes. So let's move on to our comments. Yeah. Um. So I had one uh, when I was looking like into the history of the game and how it was created. Um. One of the cool things I found was that um, uh, the director of Kit Fox Games, who are the uh, development team that made it, um, she's called Tanya Short. Um, she did a really interesting interview about how she did a huge amount of research into like myths and mythologies to try and make this as accurate as possible. And it's like a blend of different cultures and they try to make it ridiculously like diverse. So it's not just all white people or all black people or whatever it might be. It was like a good mix of genders and races and all kinds of stuff. Um, but she said in the interview, I really regret not hiring an expert on Sumerian history just to make it more accurate. And I was like, <laughs> I appreciate that an indie developer studio, which probably, you know, is going to be constrained financially, especially if it's your, like, your first game from that studio. I think actually that this isn't their first game. I'll talk about that yeah. in a bit. Um, but they're not going to have unlimited amount of money. But it's kind of cool that they were like, if we had the budget, we'd have hired a mythology expert just to make this a bit more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, pre- pretty cool, Sire. Yeah. U- Ubisoft should do that for Assassin's Creed, but then uh, <laughs> they'd realise they have no game because none of it's real. <laughs> Apart from the Animus, of course, oh, which we're all course. living in. But, so um, I just wanted to comment that it wasn't enough to be a dislike, but the the progression system wasn't very clear. Even after a couple of run-throughs, we had to dig around some wikis so we could actually flesh out some gaps to tell you about them in the yeah. in this episode. So, um, you know, you go through and it's like, hey, you've unlocked the location. And you're like, cool. You finish the run-through and you start again. And you're like, where is it? <laughs> what does that actually mean? What, what the fuck? Well, hmm? um, but, you know, you, you, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't ruin, the, doesn't ruin the experience. But we did spend a lot of time with little pop-ups coming up and you're like, great. Don't know what that means. Yeah. What's that going to do? No idea. Uh, and you, you, you figure it out and learn as you go along. So it certainly isn't enough to be a dislike. But be prepared for the first couple of run-throughs being a little bit like a learning curve around in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, the only thing, last thing I wanted to mention um, was again about uh, the developers' Kitbox games. Um, they're quite interesting. They've got a few interesting games. Um, they did Shattered Planet, which you might have heard of. Um, the Shrouded Isle, which I just started playing recently, which is an awesome. Uh, it's basically Reigns, you know, the mm, card game. Yeah, yeah. Um, but instead of being a king, you're like the head priest on an island, and then you pick people from different families to help prepare for the <laughs> harvest festival, and then one of them gets sacrificed to the gods. <laughs> and it's <laughs> it's a really cool way of doing it but the art style is the thing that's cool about that is that it's all just two colors like monochrome um mm-hmm. the default is like a yellow and black it looks really striking uh, but you could change it to different things um but the thing that i wanted to mention is they're currently working on a new game called boyfriend dungeon <laughs> i've heard uh, of this <laughs> which, which they refer to as a shack and slash where you date your weapons like the swords that you use are actually people that you can date and uh it's coming in 2019 i watched the trailer and it looked absolutely fucking mental but i'm intrigued so that's uh one to look out for that's so weird shack and slash yeah someone came up with that pun and then built the game off it i'm convinced (laughs) they were just drunk one night and went let's do it let's just let's let's make this game (laughs) Sounds like us. 
<laughs> yeah, pretty awesome. Cool. So we always wrap up by saying uh, whether we would play it again and whether we would recommend it to others. So kick us off, Ben. Um, I would like to play it again. Um, to be honest, uh, part of me would like to play it single player. Like, I feel like I missed out on a lot of the plot and stuff that's happening. Like, mm. I didn't really get a sense of the story and the mythology. I just, just kind of like powering through each run and doing stuff. Um, which I'm not sure is the fault of the game or whether I just wasn't reading it or because we were chatting and doing other stuff and that I'm kind of tempted to buy it on the Switch and just play it single player um, and then I might play it online again, mm-hmm. I guess. It was good. Um, would I recommend it? I think I, I would. I mean, it's 10 quid. Uh, yeah. You're going to get at least a couple hours of fun out of it. Um, you know, If you're looking for something a little bit different, um, if you like the sound of the stuff that I mentioned about the um, uh, faster than light style dialogue trees and all that kind of thing, the RPG element's pretty awesome. Um, I think you know, go for it, give it a try, and and see how it fits. Um, I think if you're not sure and you're worried about the connection issues, it might be one to catch on sale or to maybe mm. watch you know a stream on Twitch or something to see if it looks like something you'd enjoy. Um, but I certainly enjoyed it. I I definitely say to someone. Yeah, you should try this out. I think I'd probably recommend it on Switch. I think Switch seems like such a perfect platform for something like this. Something yeah. that's, you know, a very short run through. You just pick up, burst through one run through, and then, you know, not play it for a week and then play it again for another little bit. I think it would work really well. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I will get it on Switch. Yeah, I'm actually of the same mind. I think uh, I... If I do play it again, it will be because I bought it on Switch. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's good on it's good on PC, and I and I feel I feel like I could play it again, but you know, there's a lot of stuff I want to play. <laughs> the age old problem, right? And I'm not quite sure if on PC it grabs my attention quite enough to play through it more and more and more on that on that hardware. But like you say, on the Switch, I think it'd be really nice if you're just on a you know on a flight or something, and it's an hour and a half going somewhere in Europe, you can just yeah. A run through of Moon Hunter is nice, and I would like to play through it with each class. And there's um, so there's five classes when you start the you know five classes at the start, and then you unlock two more. So seven classes each run, sixty to ninety minutes. I guess you're looking at eight or nine hours. And yeah, that's that'd be pretty fun, I think. Uh, especially because the upgrades you can buy during a run are also randomised to some degree. I think so. You're not going to end up with the same character every time. So I think I would like to play it again. Like you say, probably on my own on the switch and if i did play it multiplayer maybe locally on the switch because the switch is great for that and mm. i think the split like the sharing the seven inch screen you know split screen rocket league on the switch is horrific yeah. <laughs> I, I mean it's fun if you're playing 1v1 but it's you know you don't get much screen but when you have this kind of shared screen approach on the switch i think that works really well so mm. uh, i would recommend it on the switch i would recommend it if you're going to play it local co-op on switch or pc uh, or presumably the consoles too, uh, and if you like the like something a bit different, but it's not a huge, it's not like a massively strong recommendation, no. but it's definitely a recommendation. So cool. Well, thanks ever so, ever so much for listening. Uh, you can find other episodes either on iTunes where you're probably listening to this, or on our website at connectingtohost.co.uk. Some of our previous shows include Human Fall Flat, where we uh, <laughs> made fools of ourselves trying to walk around. PUBG, which we are made fools of ourselves falling around the place. What's <laughs> <laughs> the pattern here? Yeah. Invisigun Heroes, which you were pretty good at. When I was uh, drunk. 
and uh, Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle if you if you happen to be of the Switch variety. So uh, join us next time when we'll probably not be talking about Shadow Warrior Two again. <laughs> Um, and if you have something you would like us to play then please leave us a message on Twitter at CTHcast and if you like the episode head over to iTunes and leave us a review thanks ever so much <laughs>